Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. Hey, what's going on, guys? I got a special guest here. We have Nick Bradley. He's a world-renowned business growth and scale-up specialist who helps exceptional business leaders unlock their full potential. He has UK's number one business podcast on iTunes and Spotify, Scale Up Your Business. He's completed 67 marathons and 24 ultra marathons worldwide. He also works with private equity investors across UK, US, Asia, leading business turnarounds, mergers, acquisitions, and scale-ups. Over the last decade, he's built, bought, and sold multiple businesses, creating significant value for himself and shareholders. This includes enabling 22 business acquisitions, completing over $5.3 billion in deals across eight business sectors in 11 countries. He's also the co-founder of The Fielding Group, a growth accelerator that helps companies improve business performance in order for entrepreneurs to create freedom, build wealth, and live without limits. So welcome, Nick. We're happy to have you here. What an intro, Jordan. <laughs> it's, always, it's always humbling to hear the introductions being read like that. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And I'm, it's uh, great to be on your show today. Yeah, we're excited to he- have you here on the Clocked In podcast. And after reading that, you've done you've done a lot. So let's just <laughs> where did it all start? Well, it's an interesting. I mean, I'm 46 years of age now, right? So um, I've got a few decades of experience behind the belt, um, so to speak. But I started I started life in a little place called Adelaide, South Australia, which is right in the sort of southern part of Australia, and it's um, one of those weird places where it gets really, really hot, like in the sort of 40 degrees Celsius in the summer, and then quite cold down to sort of minus in the um, <laughs> In the winter, but it's famous for three things. It's famous for really big sharks. So a lot of the um, the sort of open water scenes from Jaws were filmed in the waters of South Australia. Uh, churches, like for whatever reason, there's lots of churches, like heaps of them, uh, and serial killers. Apparently, we have more serial killers, or have had more serial killers per head of population than any other city in the world. Well, I'm glad you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? As I said, I've got no affiliation with any of it, uh, other than I do know some people who've had shark attacks from surfing. So, you know, that's actually, I know more people who've had shark attacks than have had you know, major car accidents. So anyway, wow. but um, to your question, yeah. So I started life there, um, went to school and university there, studied a marketing and degree and part of a psychology degree before I transferred into doing mainly focused activity on marketing and sales. 
started my first business at 18, which was a personal training business. Uh, we're talking sort of early 1990s when personal training was absolutely considered a luxury for the very rich, not something that was accessible as it is now. So you can imagine what that was like. So, um, but I had a, a successful little business, uh, employed a few staff, had a private area of a gym there. And I ended up selling that business um, and then moving to Sydney where I started to work in the world of corporate. And I spent about 15 to 20 years working for some of the large um, global multinationals. The first one I worked with was um, News International under Rupert Murdoch. Uh, and then the last major one I worked with was a, um, a business called Getty Images, which is based out of Seattle. But that sort of 15, 20 years of experience um, got me all around the world. So I went from Sydney to the UK to the US and I've done stints all around the place. I now live in the UK in a tiny little village north of London, um, which, to be honest, is really nice because it's kind of quiet considering the, the bright lights of Sydney and New York and those places. And then after I finished working in the land of corporate, I worked in private equity, so private equity investment. And I'd work my way up to senior management through my corporate career. So I was on the sort of C-suite as a chief marketing officer and eventually a CEO of a couple of um, mid-sized businesses. And then when I started working in private equity, I was effectively the guy that they would bring in to do turnarounds of investments that weren't going well uh, and uh, getting put in as the chief exec or a bit of a kind of troubleshooter, so to speak, on investments that you know were going okay but weren't growing as quickly as they'd like. And so the last decade or so, certainly the last eight years or so, I've worked mainly in that space where I go into businesses, identify where they're not working, where they are working, and with a high degree of precision, work out which areas need to be optimized in order for them to grow, to scale, and then ultimately to be sold to someone else. And that's where you you start to get the um, uh, the notion of eight to nine figure exits where people can create a lot of freedom and wealth. Wow. And throughout that time, with what you're doing, with where you go into business and turn them around, what were some of the big takeaways that you found? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because with private equity in particular, and I'll kind of explain this because I'm sure there's lots of people who are starting businesses listening to, to this podcast and kind of get some insight. I mean, you have various cycles of business, right? So you have the startup phase and the startup phase is usually the most creative for obvious reasons. It's, it's also the one that's probably the most chaotic because it's usually someone who has the, the spark of an idea. They, they recognize a problem that needs to be solved in the world. And the best um, entrepreneurs at startup are the ones that are super sort of dogged and focused in their belief and level of certainty around, you know, what they can do and what they can achieve in the world. And so the way I try and sort of tell the story about that when people ask, it's a bit like a rocket taking off. You need, you need someone who can get the thing off the ground and most of the energy and the power happens, you know, to get the, to get the lift off. But there's a point where the rocket, you know, something changes. Usually when it gets out of the atmosphere, it needs something else. And it doesn't need, you know, all of that, that um, push, if you like, all of that drive. It needs, it needs other things. And so the journey from startup to scale up is very much about how you move from that chaos to a higher degree of complexity. And the only way to deal with complexity is through adding simplicity. And you do that through structure and process. So it's been an amazing journey for me to kind of be in that world. But I, I tend to think that what I do specifically is come into a business that's already got a great idea, but it's not optimized. And the watch out really is if you don't start to build the machine, as I say, with the right foundations, a lot of those startups struggle through scale up and some of them go bust because they haven't been able to understand that there's a transition that needs to happen. And in, pri in the private equity world, is that where you learned all this? Because 
it seems like a difficult con. Like it's like further down the line, and you're like, I know what to do. Everyone should know what to do, but no business owner is really going to know what to do because not many people have gone through that process. I mean, some yeah, and there there are some characteristics which I'll go through with you today to make it a bit more um, uh, a bit more clarity around what I'm saying, but. You know, some some really amazing entrepreneurs, business founders, uh, navigate that path better than others, right? They understand they're, they're kind of they they balance both the intuition that's required with the um, the knowledge and the experience. Quite often, a lot of those people have really good mentors around them. They have really good coaches to help them understand the difference. So I often say, and this has been true in my life. If I don't know how to do something, the quickest way for me to do that is to surround, you know, surround myself with people who've done it. And so the ones that tend to work with high levels of um, success and precision have that philosophy, like almost constantly learning and growing. The ones that um, end up getting frustrated, uh, burnt out, overwhelmed, stressed are the ones that don't realize that they're going to have to ask for help. So I will go through um, some characteristics in a sec for you, Jordan, because I think it's important to understand the lenses of which I look through, which did come from that private equity background. But to be frank, it's just come from being in the right rooms with people who have done it before. And I've just applied a lot of that stuff to my experience. Uh, and that, that's one of the big takeaways that I absolutely love because the modeling is so important because it's, they've done it before. They're willing to help you. You just have to ask. Yeah. And there's not that many people that are willing to do that ask. No, asking's hard, right? You know, it's the same way like if you if you look at the sort of parallel back to what I said before about having a personal training business, m- most people, if they want to lose 20 pounds, know how to lose 20 pounds, right? Yeah. You know, you, you eat less, you exercise more, you get sleep, you probably drink, you know, a gallon of water a day. You know, there's, yeah. there's building blocks that you just have to do. But like anything... It's uh, simple to understand, but not necessarily easy to execute. And in, and in a lot of cases, I think asking is one of the simplest things you can do, right? Find someone who's done it before. Find someone who's willing to help you and ask for that help. And that's going to get you to where you want to get to in both business and life quicker than anything else, right? But most people are too proud, you know, negative um, perceptions of themselves, fear rejection, and therefore they don't go down that path. Absolutely. They don't think that they're worthy of that person's time or whatever that is for those people. But it's, I've used it in my life and it is pivotal. It is pivotal to getting there. Well, same with me. And I still do it. I mean, I've got um, seven companies or seven separate businesses now. They all, some of them interrelate in different ways. Um, And then I've got other things on the go as well, like the podcast. But, you know, I remember when I started the podcast, which is a good 18 months ago, two years ago now. Um, what I did is I went to the person who at that time had what I thought was the best business podcast in the UK and I asked him to mentor me. And then, uh, I ended up signing up to, um, he, he had a podcast agency as well. So I signed up to that for life. Cost me at the time, 10,000 pounds, which sounds like not much if you're going to keep doing it. Like when you work it out a cost per episode, it's super cheap, but 10,000 pounds just to kind of commit to something you've never tried before is, you know, it's it's an investment. Um, but I did it and, and you know what, it was the best thing I ever did because two things happened from that. First and foremost, I got, uh, excellent knowledge, learning, um, tutorage, if you like, from, from Rob, from Rob Moore. And I knew exactly what I needed to do in what order to build the thing. Uh, and he also gave me feedback on, on some early names and all that sort of stuff to, you know, names of the podcast. And then because I used his agency as well, I took away the friction that can sometimes happen, which creates overwhelm. So all I need to do every single week, I do two episodes a week. 
uh, all I need to do is just focus on recording a fantastic conversation, be that me, myself speaking to myself or uh, interviewing someone. And then the rest of it's taken care of. So I think the reason it's been successful is also because I've, I've done those two things. I've learned how to ask and I've also learned how to leverage. Yeah, and that's it. You got, whether you have money or you have time, you have to use one of them to get you to where you want to go. And with you utilizing the money to work with this guy, you said Rob? Yeah, Rob Moore. Yeah, so he's got a podcast called Disruptive Entrepreneur, which has been going, I think he's up to 500 episodes or 600 episodes now. But yeah, he. I just I just did a bit of research. I mean, um, one of the things, I went to a Tony Robbins event a few years back and Tony Robbins said, you know, it's not a lack of resources, it's a lack of resourcefulness. And I love that quote. And I thought, yeah, okay, you know, if it's just, if I just have to find someone who's done it before, okay, I may have to pay some money, but what's more important to me right now, money or time? If time was more important, sorry, if uh, money was more important, I probably would have had to have leveraged time. In other words, it would have taken me longer uh, to get the results. So it's just a trade-off between those two things. Absolutely, and it's which one do you want to leverage at that moment? And I, it's funny because when I started the podcast, I sat there and I would ask all my friends, I'm like, does anyone know anyone that podcasts? No one knew anyone. You thought these people were in another dimension. So when I was doing this, everyone thinks like I'm the first guy to do the podcast. And it was just very ironic to me that there's a whole world out here, but we're not going global enough with it to reach out to these different people or figure it out where everyone's in these niches already and you just have to figure out how to get there. It's, I, I look at um, certainly what I've created over the last two to three years in terms of my, my, my you know, budgeting sort of business empire <laughs> you know, in terms of these companies and things. Um, most of them, if not all, have come from what would look from the outside as being random connections. So I did a, a, a joint venture with a guy called Rock Thomas who used to be one of Tony Robbins' leading um, trainers. He's now got um, a Goldcast video that's had something like 60 million views and he's a pretty famous guy in the sort of personal development space but i met him randomly through another connection and then we ended up doing a jv together so my sort of takeaway from that is unless you're prepared to put yourself into these different environments you know those opportunities are just not going to show up so you've got to allow yourself to kind of move into spaces which often feel uncomfortable in the beginning but after a while they feel very comfortable and then you just keep you know, raising the temperature um, and, and getting used to it. I love it. And when you go in to these different ventures or partnerships, how do they usually start in the sense of, hey, we're just here. And then you go, hey, there might be a business idea here. Where are we going to execute? And, and then I have a it's question. More precise. It's a, it's a great question because it's, it's actually a very precise answer. So um, one of the things I did, so when, when I left the world of private equity, where I was effectively working for the private equity firms in, in different ways, but mainly I would I said, go in there and lead these businesses through change and growth. I, I decided I wanted to go and do something different, which was the same stuff, but I wanted to do it more on my own terms because the private equity firms are fine, but after a while it can be quite a toxic environment and you know, you can do it. It's great learning, as you were saying beforehand, but it's not something I think you'd do forever. And I wanted to kind of branch out and just have a little bit more of my own freedom. And um, as I started to sort of do that, I started to work on, okay, what do I love doing? So what am I good at? What have I done? What do I love? What am I really passionate about? And, And what else am I not that great at, but needs to be done? which is basically the stuff I'm going to get other people to do for me in, in whatever way, shape or form. And one of the things I did was I created 
basically a story, a brand story of myself, um, and and then created effectively a pitch off the back of that. Now the pitch is a sec- is effectively what I do, why it matters, how it helps the person that I most want to help, and then obviously different ways that that it does that so people can engage with me in those ways. And so when I was going into these rooms, let's say I went to an event, I went to a Brendan Bouchard event in San Diego, and I went to other bits and pieces. When someone would ask, so what do you do? You know, what do you care about? I had already thought very deeply about that answer. And most people don't know how to answer that question. They come up with something random, like they say, oh, I'm a coach or I, I own a business down the road or whatever, but there's no real big mission or story or vision or anything behind it. So if you can actually say something which is a little bit more memorable and remarkable, right, all of a sudden you stand out in a sea of, of, of many other conversations. So most of the, the deals that I've done, the JVs, the opportunities have come from just presenting myself in a clear and focused way in those environments. Yeah, it makes total sense. You had the preparation. And just to clarify for the audience, JV joint venture, right? Yes, joint venture. Okay. So yeah, exactly. And you know, one of the ways just to kind of even articulate that further, you know, I, I'm a big believer on the, the place you start if you're an entrepreneur in any capacity is working out who you want to serve and and being crystal clear on that. So don't start with the problem or the solution. Start with the individual that you want to serve. And it usually is a person. And then articulate what the pain is. And so the reason that's important is if I choose to give up my time to um, go to an event or to JV and partner with someone, the reason I'm probably doing that is they've either got an audience that I want to reach with whatever I do, my products and services, my solutions, or they've got a gap in the products and solutions they're providing to their audience where I can fill that gap. So therefore, it becomes very easy. The sales and marketing takes care of itself because I'm focused on on where there is already something established previously. Yeah, so you're utilizing the partnership to go on other stages and offer other unique. And that makes sense to me. And with seven businesses, how do you manage all of that? Because that is, you could be running around all day. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I only spend my time doing five things. And my, my diary is stacked with those five things. So... You know, I spend time every day on my sort of health and my personal development. So I've got routines around that that don't change and relatively simple stuff. So I read every day for 30 minutes. I always meditate in the mornings. I always do at least 30 minutes of exercise six days a week. So I've got routines around that. So I'm spending time on me. Uh, I'm spending time with my family, my wife and my two young daughters. And then I'm either spending time creating content, what I call creating content assets, because they're, they're scalable. So, you know, conversation we're having now, or I've got my own podcast, I've got other things. Um, and in that, I also am creating products and solutions. So I have, I'm spending time working on the businesses in different ways. So I'm always creating around that. Then I'm either serving clients that I have in various ways. Um, some of them, you know, going through big transformations in their businesses. Some of them getting ready to sell their businesses for large sums of money. So I'm effectively mentoring them on that side. And then the third area is that I'm building networks and collaborations. So I'm offering value and help to people in those ways, which means that they, that whole, that whole really fantastic sign, um, saying from uh, Zig Ziglar that if you help other people get what they want in life, you'll have everything you want and need in life. I probably just bastardized that, but it's that concept. Um, that's what I spend my five times doing. So my diary is full and I've even color coded them in those five categories. 
I completely agree with that. I like that you have your categories and you have them simple. Reason is because with the company I have, Edwards Consulting, we do the same thing. It's five pillars. So it's mental, physical, community involvement, relationships, networking, and then spirituality, which is the meditation. Yeah, because you want to have be a holistic individual. You want to make it work. So yeah, you've got to have balance. I, the only thing I'd say on that, Jordan, is I find that, and this is this is true for myself and also with other clients, is sometimes people expect to have, let's say, those five pillars perfectly shaped with twenty percent. <laughs> and what I work on, I work in a, in a, 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 a I call it a ninety-day cadence, where effectively everything is done in a big ninety-day block. And what I what I, I I give myself the gift of saying that I'm not going to get each of those five areas because I have something very similar. I don't, I don't think they're always going to be perfect. So there'll be some seasons where if I'm really trying to grow and scale one of my companies, that might be taking up a bigger chunk of my time. But the important thing is that each of the things I'm working on gets at least some attention every day, depending on which areas I'm trying to focus on. Yeah, exactly. And if you have those checks in place, then you'll be knowing how far skewed you are. If, you, if you've been like, I've been focusing on scaling too much and I haven't been with the family that much, I have to focus on this or I'm gaining weight. But let's dive into your, you do marathons. Oh, yeah. No, I do. Um, Tell me about these <laughs> and why. You've said you've done one now, haven't you? Was it, did you say it was earlier this year or last year? Last year. So it was 2019. I'm sitting there and I realized that everyone has these year-long goals and no one, no one executes. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I want to do this. I want one of my goals to be run a marathon. So what happened with me there is you started training. And then, so I'm in Tampa, Florida. I'm training there. It's hot as can be. So I have to run at like 530 in the morning, running 13 miles on a Saturday morning. Who wants to do that? But what it made me do is it changed everything because now Friday nights were rest day. Maybe I go get pasta for dinner because I want to enjoy myself and be ready for this run on Saturday morning. It wasn't about, it changed my whole dynamic. So then when I committed to the run, the run was in Lake Tahoe. And Lake Tahoe sits at uh, 6,000 elevation. And I'm training at zero. So now I have this mass that I'm running with. It was was just really funny. Why did you choose um, uh, Lake Tahoe um, versus something closer? um, Because my parents were committed to going wherever I wanted to go. So they were like, we can go to Key West, we can go to Lake Tahoe, but if we go to Lake Tahoe, then we can go to Napa Valley and San Francisco. Yeah, it's one of my favorite parts of the US as well. So I spent a lot of time up there. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful, yeah. And I'm just like, I I can figure this out. I can figure it out. I'm going to do it. So I ended up getting there. It's like 30 degrees out. I've only been running in 80 degree weather and I run three miles and I'm just like, three miles, two days before. And I'm like, this isn't going to work. This is going to be really hard. So I had like a bunch of layers on, got hat, got gloves. And when we went, it was all in. I knew I was finishing this. And yeah, I finished. It wasn't the fastest time. It was four hours and 55 minutes, but it was, I finished. And that was the goal. And I ran through the finish line. Doesn't mean I ran the whole time, but I ran through the finish line. And it was an amazing feeling. So what did you learn from doing that? Um, that we are capable way beyond what we believe is possible. And that's what I wanted to get from it. Because before that, I ran six miles and that was the furthest. And it, it was funny how fast I was running. Where 
after a couple of weeks, when you run, you can see that you can you can improve pretty quickly, whether you're, it's your distance or your time. And quick enough, when I said I was running 10 miles, a lot of my friends go, that's impossible. That That's incredible. Like, how are you doing that? And I wasn't even, I was five weeks into training. Uh, and it was just, it was just an eye-opening experience where it was just, it's something that's good home as them. It's something that kind of keeps their eyes open and you focus so much on your health because then it allows you to kind of live how you want to live too. You run a 10 mile day, go out and eat whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do more of that. I do less of that now, but yeah, I was doing, um, God, I mean, I 80 to hundred mile weeks, you know, running a marathon every Sunday as a training run. Oh um, my God. And so that what was were you training for, uh, any, well, different races, hundred kilometer, hundred mile races um those sort of distances so you would either have to do a very long run once a week so obviously longer than marathon because the distances are doubled um so you know if you think about it you know for people listening a hundred mile race is effectively four back-to-back marathons absolutely a little bit less but but around that and um so that's a very very different um, impact on your body so i would train long on sunday mornings i'd go out really early and then come back before the family were up really so i'd be out the door by four in the morning and then back sort of by eight nine um and then um you know i would be doing a whole heap of different things during the week so back-to-back sort of mid-length runs so halfway through the week i might do 10 back-to-back so 10 miles back-to-back okay and you know on a, on a wednesday and a thursday have a bit of a, um, a, a sort of faster day on the um, Friday, then nothing much on the Saturday and then the long run on the Sunday. And then I'd have a cadence like that throughout the week. But yeah, I mean, the reason for it to so the question is like, you know, you said it, you know, what we can do, what we can physically achieve and therefore um, do in any area of our life is always limited usually by the mindset that we have around these things. So I think it was, um, I forget where this came from, but um, it's definitely a Navy SEAL thing. And I know David Goggins, if you've ever read his book, Can't Hurt Me, he talks about it, that we only we only really unlock or untap 40% of our potential physically, and we can do a lot more, but the brain is wired to tell us to stop when it feels pain or feels that we're going to kill ourselves. And so my, my whole view of, of doing those sort of events is partly because it takes you out of your comfort zone to the point where you are going to be able to apply that same uh, learning or that same experience, you know, that mindset again to anything. So, you know, business, and I, and I, like, I like to draw the parallel between entrepreneurship and, and, and ultra endurance um, events, because, you know, there's a point where the roller coaster of entrepreneurship is challenging emotionally because you've got the highs and you've got the lows and, and very rarely does it ever change. So you've, you've got to go into that world understanding that even if you do create a certain amount of wealth one day, you'll become addicted to the roller coaster because it's, it's exciting as much as it is also quite, you know, fearful and, and challenging. But if you, if you do something that really challenges you every day and is scary, like running these events or something else, doesn't have to be that, it gives you the grit and the fortitude to be able to, the courage to be able to um, sustain through those challenging times. And if anything, sustain, but also break through them to another level which means that you're continually growing as a person. Yeah, I completely agree. And honestly, you just feel so good after running, running too. You know what I mean? Because you feel like you've accomplished something. And uh, it was just like you were saying, if you run a 100-mile race, I don't think you're going to play small in business. I don't think it will work. It doesn't correlate. 
There's a, I'll tell you a very, very small story, very quick story about where this sort of hit me. It was back with my personal training days. So when I was doing personal training, as I said, I was sort of in my 20s. And at that time, I was also coaching youth basketball. I was coaching under 16 boys for um, uh, our, what we call our district team. So almost state level, pretty, pretty good level. And this one year, I, I got a team and we were super, super short, right? Like tiny. And the tallest guy was like, you know, what, what it might have been the size of the point guard on the other teams. But they were really quick and, and they were a good attitude. And I remember I, what I did is I applied through that season. I made them train double what they trained the previous season. So we didn't just do our normal basketball training. We added like an extra hour or so of physical um, exercise after every session. And I told the parents and they were all happy about it. Well, the kids weren't. But I'll tell you what happened. We ended up, we ended up winning the championship that year. And we got to the grand final against the team that was undefeated. They had not lost one game. And it's like literally a best of one. And we were down by about 15 to 20 points at halftime. And we ended up winning the game. And I remember having the conversation with them around that sort of halftime break, effectively saying, you guys are going to win. And you're going to win because of these reasons. And I reminded them of all the extra effort that they'd put in, that the other team hadn't put in. And we changed the strategy a little bit in terms of how we could penetrate and score against their size and, you know, the speed, you know, the speed and quickness and, and um, endurance that they'd sort of built up came into play, but it was the mindset. And so my view is if you put yourself through really challenging things, if you work harder than other people in whatever capacity, you create a level of both resilience and certainty in your mind, self-belief that you're not going to fail. And even if you have a setback, it's not a failure. And then if you said, if you can apply that to business or to anything in your life, these are the people who reach what I call extraordinary performance in anything they undertake. And who, who are a couple of people in that category? Well, you get, I mean, you can see it in the world of sport all the time, more so. Yeah. You, don't, you don't see it. And the world of business is quite funny because you don't really hear the stories that underpack or un, underpin, sorry, that success. You know, you, um, you might read about Steve Jobs, but there are, there are areas of Steve Jobs where he was very difficult as a character because he was so relentless. But there were things, decisions that he made, which was just incredibly brave decisions, yeah. right? And, and they come from a fortitude and mindset that's, that's extraordinary. In sport, um, you know, basketball, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, if anyone's watched The Last Dance, you know, a lot of people criticize those players for, you know, for how they showed up sometimes because they weren't the best teammates or they weren't whatever else, but they were rock solid in terms of their um, determination to succeed, you know, extraordinary levels. And, and there's one thing I will say, which is this, is that if you put yourself into something like an ultramarathon, you have to try and stay in flow as long as possible because it's very, very easy for you to say no compete, you know, continuously and it's a compound. So, so as you're running, you know, 50, 60 miles, you know, you've just gone over halfway, your body's telling you to stop, you know, you've got blisters all over the place. You, the, the, the managing of how you get through that stage to then get to say 10 miles out where it feels achievable is incredibly empowering to everything else you do in life. And so you've got to be in flow and focus. And if you can do that, you can take that same ability and apply it to business and then you're 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 literally like a superpower within that within that um that frame. Yeah. And when did you start focusing on these ultra marathons and marathons? Yeah. So my my first marathon was in my uh, early twenties when I was a 
personal trainer, but it was inspired by my grandfather, a guy called Ken Wood, who was the um, first guy to run a marathon after open heart surgery. And I was wow. 10 years of age when he did it. In fact, behind me, I've got um, a picture on the wall. I've actually got his original certificate. He did it in four <laughs> hours and five minutes as wow. a guy in his 50s, I know. And he'd had you know, literally his heart operated on. And um, I remember I was, I said, I was 10 years of age when he did it. And he came and said to me, listen, I'm probably not going to survive this because all the doctors said there's no way you can live because they, yeah. they, no one ever done it. And not only did he live, he, he broke this, this well, you know, amazing time. So that kind of inspired me. And when he died about 15 years ago, I started to get much more into it. And so over the course of about a decade, I started running all the extreme events I possibly could to connect a bit with him, but also to start to learn a little bit more about myself. Yeah. I, I mean, that's an inspiring story for sure. And that's the other big thing about the marathons that no one talks about. All that preparation and that work, it lowers your heart. And heart attacks are like one of the number one killers. And if you can lower your heart, like lower your resting heartbeat, like I have a Fitbit I wear, and it tells me my heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, I, I measure everything. I've got a whoop band on here and I've got a, a running watch here. But I, my resting heart rate's uh, 44, I think, at the moment, 44, 45, oh, which man. is pretty good, right, for an old guy like me. But, That's great. Um, I, had a, I had it down to 46 when I was doing 75 hard earlier this year, but now I'm sitting at like a 51. That yeah, 40, not bad, though. I mean, anything around that good, level is yeah. pretty damn good. But, oh, all of it's great, but it's just... There's the micro distinctions of someone who's slightly that it's impressive. But the the lesson I think for everyone listening here is, and then, you know, I can only tell my story and what it's given to me is any success that people have, you know, you never see the detail, right? You never really know. A lot of people say they got lucky or whatever. I don't really believe in that. I do think opportunities show up the more prepared you are to see those opportunities. But a lot of it's just by putting yourself in the right state for that to happen. And so, you know, it's the discipline of, you know, getting up early if that's what you need to do to work on your business or to exercise or do stuff. It's, it's having habits which are aligned with goals that you want to achieve. It's holding yourself to account when things don't get done. Um, the, the, as I said, you know, at the very beginning of us talking today, these concepts are not difficult concepts. They're very simple concepts. We all know what we need to do. We just don't have the, um, the discipline often to actually carry on and and actually do the work that's required. Yeah, and uh, I want to touch on that accountability point because the accountability is, everyone thinks it's, oh, it's just accountability. It's just this. If you didn't need accountability, you wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> and, and then you start realizing and that you said all these things to yourself, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And then you always falter. Like, not always falter, but you never held to that fire of like, hey, you told me you were going to go run 10 miles and now we're here the next week and this hasn't been accomplished. So that, that is such a value to people because it's finally allowing them to really see what they can do, like achieve what they want to achieve. Yeah, and accountability for me, um, as much as I've spoken a lot about discipline today, it's not necessarily just about discipline. I think it's also to stop distraction and, and to stop procrastination because if you think about it, like, we have so many competing choices. It's kind of been exacerbated by digital and, and you know social media and all that. We have so many competing choices that even just a lack of focus can can cost us time and then you know take us away from what our goals are. So I've got a few people I work with where 
actually the one thing we've done in their businesses is just remove things, you know, remove anything that can be, we haven't actually built anything really. We've just taken away crap, um, you know, cleared it out so that they can then focus on the things that are going to make the difference. And you'd be surprised how as a, as a technique, that's more powerful sometimes than, than offering strategies and different ways of, of doing something. So the service really is just simplifying the business. Simplifying, well, you're simplifying in terms of that the natural place that it's going to go is complexity. It's so the 80-20 rule, right? It's, it's the 80-20 rule, understanding that you are still going to be working with more, more things going on in that transition. So the way I try and explain to people is, you know, if you're scaling a business, the two most important things that you need to bring in place, and particularly in the scale up part of that is, is the ability to create processes around all of the core areas and the ability to build and lead teams. So if you think about that, what have you just done? Well, you've, you've got more processes because the businesses are growing. So like, you know, you might have more products, you might have more customers, you might have different geographies, whatever it is, right? That, you know, as you start to grow, there's going to be more complexity just because there's simply more things going on. And then the only way you can do that is to have um, more people helping you do that, both both people and systems. But the meshing of those things together can create complexity, and you see it all the time. So when you think about it, you've got to you've got to create um, a very very simple operating model. Firstly, a simple strategy, and then a simple simple operating model. Because if you don't have that, a you're not going to understand it. You're going to get distracted because you know the brain works in that way. But then you're not going to be able to articulate it well enough to the people that you want to be able to, you know, help grow this thing with you. And then they get confused. And that's where you see lots of, I tend to come in, Jordan, where uh, a business has had good growth at some point. Usually that's that first startup, you know, first couple of years, two, three years. And then all of a sudden there's a plateau. And the founder has no idea what's happened and just is stuck. And, and basically I often say, Hasn't, it's not that they haven't got the ability to break through that. It's just that they've run out of ideas. They don't know what their next move should be. So they have to call upon someone to model who's done it yeah. before. And I do it, you know, as I mentioned in the very beginning, there's six category, char- characteristics that I look at. So I look at, firstly, uh, well, I call it purpose. It's called the six peaks uh, of value or six peaks of value creation. But I talk about it in these lenses. The first one is purpose. And purpose is like the center of the compass. So first and foremost, you've got to understand where you're going. You've got to know why, which is which is what purpose is often aligned to. And you've got to know your starting point. And I'll, you'd be surprised. You know, that sounds like a very, very simple set of questions. You know, where are you going? Where are you, where are you today? And why does it matter? Right? But you'd be surprised how many people can answer that. And they, they go, oh, I used to be able to answer that, but I don't know what it is anymore. Okay, well, if you don't know what it is anymore, you're not going to be able to do anything else. So that's the first one. Then, then we look at profitability and things like how much cash is in the business for both investment and protection. Um, and a lot of businesses I work with are tech businesses, so they're not necessarily profitable now. But what's not acceptable is not understanding how they can be profitable at some point. Because remember, I'm working with people who want to sell their business to investors or to private equity or to other companies, and they want to sell that business and walk away and buy an island or whatever. Um, <laughs> And therefore, you know, you need to be able to articulate that pathway. And you have to have, to some extent, what I call a, a relentless focus on how you can get to that point. Even if it doesn't happen while you're owning the business, you need to be able to explain it. And then it's proposition. So that's like we spoke about, you know, that you've got to have a really clear understanding of, of who you're helping, who's that ideal customer that you're really going to serve. 
what's the problem that wakes them up at 3 a.m. in the morning and how does your solution align to that? Again, sounds simple, but so many businesses, um, they don't understand that the market's changing and it's evolving so much right now. And the um, problem that existed you know, a year ago may no longer be a problem. And the solution that you had, even if the problem exists, may be obsolete because someone else has come in there and done something differently. So the pace of change, is it's not acceptable to say that, hey, I have a, a great proposition that's going to last five years. You'd be lucky if that proposition is going to last 12 months. Okay, so you've got to iterate. Yeah. And then the last three, the fourth one is predictability. So predictability of the right customers coming into your business, driving recurring revenue. So that's all about the sales and marketing systems that you put in place. Then it's process across all areas. And there's usually five or six core processes that the businesses need to have and they need to automate where they can so they can create efficiencies. And then the last one is, is, is arguably, as I said, the most important is, is the ability to bring people in, you know, the ability to hire the right capability, put them in the right roles, incentivize their performance as the reward and recognition. Um, and importantly, particularly in the startup to scale up journey is being intentional about the culture. So a lot of businesses, again, I'll come into and I'll say, okay, what are the three or four behaviors that, um, that determine how you know, people do things around here or what's considered great? And, and founders just look at me and go, what are you talking about? So there must be three or four things that you value, whatever that is. Leadership principles, no. And the problem with that is if you don't start to get that fixed early and then you grow, because some businesses can grow for some time, they have 500 employees, and then all of a sudden it becomes more chaotic because no one has any, any understanding of how they should operate. So the highlight of all that, just to finish the point, is there are six characteristics that I normally look at when I'm, when I'm evaluating a business, and there's normally one or two that aren't performing. And unfortunately, like anything, you know, those one or two are bringing down the rest of it. And so if you want the thing to run like a well-oiled machine, all of those six need to be optimized and aligned to get the best result you possibly can be. Nick, this is why you're special. That was, that was so simple. It was so simply put. And I, I was thinking about it for myself and I'm like, Jordan, I got to get to the drawing board real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you can listen back to this. I have done this for a decade. And, and the funny thing was when I, you know, how I said beforehand, I, I sort of had to, you know, work, step away for a while and work out what did I want to spend my time doing and how have I yeah. created these businesses? What I did is I went back and I, and I went away actually for about two or three days by myself, you know, locked in a cabin, so to speak. And, and I kind of crafted this out. But then, you know, you asked me the question, how do I run seven businesses without going crazy? Well, I run them like this. So I have, I have people in there who, you know, who, are, who can basically do the stuff that needs to get done in the right seats. They're very clear on what they're there to do. We're, we're always monitoring the business through metrics. We're always looking at how our customers are changing and evolving. So that's that external perspective. And we're, we're often tweaking our marketing and sales efforts around customer acquisition so that we're taking the most progressive things we can learn and then testing and experimenting. So the whole thing's organic. But all I do is I set the strategy and I set the, the, the goals and what the outcome should be. And then there's people underneath that who catch that. And then they can turn that into a plan or to a system or whatever is needed to make sure the business runs. Yeah. And then you just meet back and you check up how this yeah, goes. That's yeah. it. I don't have to be there. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm working on the businesses constantly, as in like even today before I did this call, um, I created another business that we're going to launch probably in Q1. We haven't agreed the timing yet, which is annoying me right now. We need to agree the timing. But um, it's it's a different type of marketing agency. 
Okay. So I've come up with a concept and I want to I want to launch that because I'm seeing there's a shift in how people are using marketing around customer acquisition. So I want to change that and, and then launch that. And so those sort of things, because I've got the space, I can come up with those ideas because I'm always looking at what's happening in the market and I'm listening. And that allows me to do it. Because you're the outside guy who's seeing everything, talking to the people, knowing what's going on. While there's yeah. people in the business who are focusing on, we have to build this, we have to do this. And you're like, I'll grab them. I'll connect people and I'll make it work. I love, that's a yeah, cool. And, and I'll, I'll give you one last point, which I think is valuable to everyone listening here, is if you if you think the difference between um, being successful and not is working harder, you're really mistaken, right? It's working harder on the right things. It's not just working harder. And lots of people, what they do, and this is the thing, is they think, oh, I can do that, I can do this, I can do that, which is the entrepreneurial mindset, the startup mindset. When actually what they should be doing is asking themselves, how can I work less or where can I delegate this to? And as soon as you start doing that, you create the void, the gap for you to be able to then spend more time on the stuff that's going to grow and scale and get you something, you know, really significant. That I did a podcast with someone the other day and they said, practice makes what? And I said, perfect. And then he goes, no, practice makes permanence, which is exactly what mm. you said. Practicing the right thing makes perfect. So it's so key to know what you're doing. You have to understand the direction that you want to go in. So, yeah. And that's I, why I, the purpose one, of the, the very first P, right? You know, it's purpose. And some people get confused. They go, well, isn't that the why? Well, the why is, you know, why are we doing this? Why do we exist? Yes. But. Once you understand that, you know, the, the obvious next part is where are we going with this thing? Yeah. And you, that's why you've got to start there. It's usually the one thing when I go in there and I know when a business has plateaued, someone, for whatever reason, good reasons often, they can't answer that question. I'm not surprised. So I got two things. Sure. What is your purpose? And then we'll just you leave the audience. Where, where can we find you? Yeah, sure. So... So I went to a, a Tony Robbins event called Date with Destiny a few years ago, and you spend like six days just answering that question. <laughs> six days and nights because you finish at like three in the morning. And I've actually got a poster on the wall behind me, which I created in that event. And so I've got what I what I what makes me happy and what I'm passionate about more than anything else is is growing and growth, growth, and 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 trying to help people achieve what they're trying to achieve in life. And if I go back into all my patterns of what I've done, even, even as a young kid. It was always about those two things. So for me, it's it's what a lot of people say, but it's true. It's about you know becoming the best version of myself, which means it's a never-ending journey. And and I want to help people achieve that in themselves again, whatever their goals are. Now I choose to do that through business, you know, through business growth and scale up. But you know, off the back of that, my 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 belief and my kind of um, mission, if you like, is to create an empire around this stuff. And I don't look at empires as you know, um, a Jeff Bezos, Amazon sort of thing. I mean, I've got, you know, I want to have more companies. I want to be able to create more impact, but it's not really just the financial side because the financial side of that comes, that's not the difficult bit. It's about creating bigger impact in the world. So my, my purpose is to, is to push myself to that absolute limit to see how far I can take it and then help people to do that as well with themselves. Yeah, that's great. Constant growth. And where and in terms of where you can find me, yeah. Um, so yeah, if you've got a business and you're thinking, what's this mad Australian talking about? Uh, listen to the podcast. I often say I've got literally everything I've ever done 
um, in any businesses in that podcast. You know, you can find everything literally if you if you kind of search through. So definitely go and check that out if you want to. Um, the six peaks that I mentioned today, um, there's an assessment people can do on their businesses as well. So I'll give you that. Um, but where I tend to hang out is um, my community on Facebook is great, um, the Scalable Business community. And then I'm on LinkedIn all the time. So if someone searches me on that, you'll find me. Um, some terrible picture in my podcast and all that, but you'll find me. And I, and I, I try and get back to everybody I possibly can. It's a little bit slow going these days. Lots of people are needing help because of the whole COVID um, pandemic. Absolutely. But, uh, but I always get back to everyone. That's my commitment. Nick, I love it. We'll drop those in the show notes and I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you, Jordan. It's been great. Thanks very much. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.